0: Well, welcome. Good morning. I'm Pastor We're Glad that you're here. Um, special welcome for fathers. I had the privilege of being a father for a few years now. And uh, actually a grandfather for a few years now. Um, so we think about God as a father, he's our perfect example. And can't, none of us can live up to that example. But he certainly gives us a good example to love our spouses, children, completely, totally, do whatever we can uh, to be that person for them. So we're glad that you're here. Hopefully you can stay for this afternoon. If you're part of our congregation, uh, it's really not about us. This is about loving on the community. So uh, we get the benefit of joining it also. So please stay and help us uh, uh, serve our community and love on them this afternoon. We're finishing up a series titled, Five Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith, and this is part six, and the final part, and uh, we'll do a little recap at the end. Uh, If you missed one, or want to catch up on one, or hear one again, they're on our website. So, today's topic, pivotal circumstances. These are those circumstances in life that are life-changing, life-altering, things that afterwards our lives are never the same. And we all go through these. The thing about pivotal circumstances is that some of them can be positive, good things, but some of them also are negative. So you can graduate from high school as a positive, or you can flunk out of high school as a negative, right? Uh, you can fall in love, and then some girl can break your heart. was happened to me once upon a time, <laughs> all right? Uh, you can have a child. Uh, you can lose a child, uh, Lots of things are pivotal circumstances that change our lives forever. You may have had an abortion, or you may struggle with getting pregnant, um, thinking about being parents or being Father's Day. Uh, you may have some incurable illness, or you may have went through an illness. You may have an, had an accident that uh, altered you uh, for, your whole, for your life, which, which I have had. Uh, so we have these circumstances, these situations in our lives that are pivotal. Uh, The things you continue to remember, the things that affect you and those around you. In fact, some of you may be in church because of some most most likely negative circumstance. And we have some people come back to church or start church because they have children. They think they uh, should learn about God. So that's a positive. And we all know people, and maybe you have gone through one of these really difficult, negative uh, circumstances, and uh, your faith has been unshakable. I'm reading through a book in the Bible called Job. Uh, looks like Job, but anyway, uh, he makes this comment: even if you kill me, God, he gets his, his children die, he, he loses some of his wealth, he he has his illness, and he says, even if you kill me, I'm still going to trust you. So. That's God's goal for all of us. Um, And these are circumstances where you ask the question, uh, what what can I do? And usually, if they're negative, there's nothing you can do. Um, You're never going to be the same after this. Now, uh, C.S. Lewis, kind of a famous writer, theologian, uh, said this, a pretty famous quote, uh, probably says it best. God whispers to us in our pleasure. When life's going good, you know, God, thanks, but, uh, yeah, life's good. Speaks to us in our conscience. We talked about that uh, voice in our head, or our conscience. But he shouts in our pains. Gets our attention, doesn't he, when we're in pain and, and having troubles and problems. It's a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, we're delighted you're here this morning. Uh, Thank you for checking us out. But some of the pushback we get from people that aren't Jesus followers, well, that's just, uh, you're just trying to help God out because God's supposed to be good and bad things happen to good people. And so the way you rationalize that or the way you help God out with that is by saying this is God trying to bring about something good in our lives. In fact, James the uh, brother of Jesus wrote this and basically said that. He says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. And most of us are scratching our head thinking that's, that's crazy. But here he's, he explains it. For you know that when your faith is tested, that's what that is. It's a faith test. When your faith is tested, your endurance or faith has a chance to grow. And just like you want your children to grow physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually, God wants that for us. And so one way that happens or one big way it happens is through negative circumstances. So he goes on to say, so let it grow. You know, participate in letting your faith grow in these difficulties. And when endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, the fact is, everybody goes through pivotal circumstances, whether Jesus follow or not. Some of them are good, positive, some are negative. And the negative ones negative ones, are often opportunities for somebody to turn away from God. You know, if God's going to let this happen to me, if God's going to do this to me, thanks but no thanks, God. And so even if you're Jesus follower, that's, that's, that's the potential for uh, saying, okay, enough is enough. Um, I'm going to try something some other way to live my life. So I want to look at a, a story from the Bible, a kind of a long story, uh, from the life of Jesus, an incident. And it's a really familiar story, and I'd ask you, if possible, to try and just go through the experience as if you're one of, the, one of the participants or one of the bystanders, as if you don't know the end of the story, okay? So you can experience the emotion and the drama. Um, and I... And no better way to say this, but we're going to possibly experience a new category of theology in this story. Um, and it's not a really comfortable category, but I think it's, uh, it's true, and so that's why I want to share it with you. And here it is. Jesus actually creates negative circumstances in order to grow someone's faith in this story. And we often just say it's, it's what's God's permissive will. He just lets these things happen. But in reality, God's permissive will is God's will because he could have stopped it, right? Or he could have changed it. And so some of us are a little uncomfortable with that, but that's okay. But I think it's truth. So this story is in John chapter 11. Uh, John records this for us. The only record we have of this story. And again, let's just try and experience together as we go through here. A man named Lazarus was sick. So, man named Lazarus had an illness. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. So this family grouping siblings, two sisters and a brother, and the brother gets sick. So, the two sisters send a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So, this is not just anybody that's sick. This is somebody that Jesus had a personal connection with. He probably had spent time with them, ate with them, maybe stayed with them. Uh, He had developed a bond with them. And the sisters are describing him as a dear friend of Jesus. And he's not only just sick, he's very sick, seriously sick. Um, Don't know what to do sick. And that's the situation. So they said to Jesus, hey, please come and help. Now, He's described as a dear friend or someone Jesus loved. And you think, of course, if he cared deeply about him, he's going to come and help. If somebody called you, some dear friend, and if someone was sick, he would come. You know, i come and pray with people and so forth, see if I can help. You would do the same thing. So that's the request, logical request, normal request of Jesus. What does Jesus do? Well, when he heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Okay, it's good news. No big deal, right? Not going to die. Hopefully he gets well. No, it happened for the glory of God. Now, it's kind of a strange category for us. So sickness, illness, diseases, troubles, problems are a potential category for glory. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but I prefer the kind of, you know, when the sports, in sports, when somebody does something great and they interview them and the first thing they say, you know, praise God, glory to God, you know, that's the kind I like. Or when something good happens in your life, you get a promotion and, and you tell everybody at work, hey, this is for God's glory, whatever. That's the kind of glory I like. But a big category of glory to God, according to the Bible, is this category that comes out of sickness, illness, or trouble. So he gives us a so that. I like so that's. I like reasons for what happens. And so he says, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So there's a goal. It's just not random accident. There's a goal something going to result or benefit from this. So although Jesus loved, there's that word again, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, this family grouping, he stayed where he was for the next two days. There's no explanation why. Um, we don't assume he wasn't booked up for two days. He just decided to wait two days to come and help. Again, this, these folks that were really special to him, that he really had a connection with. So he does something very unexpected. He doesn't come. Now, <clears throat> I think all of us have felt this at one time or another. We've asked God for help, we prayed. Uh, and nothing. (laughs) It's like our prayers don't get past the ceiling. It's like God's not listening or God doesn't care and he doesn't seem to be doing anything. And that's the situation that Mary and Martha are dealing with. Jesus, come help. And he doesn't appear to come and help. So then finally he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, all right, let's go. He's sick, let's go. But the disciples objected. Now, a little backstory here, he, he explains it. They, they explain it to us. Rabbi, they, only a few days ago, people in Judea were trying to stone you. And we're going there again? I love how the disciples have to remind Jesus of what's going on and what's happened. Uh, just in case you forgot, Jesus, uh, they were going to stone you a couple days ago. You sure you want to go there or do you sure we don't want to go there? They stone you. They might not. They might stone us. Not a good idea. Besides, you don't have to even go to heal healing. <clears throat> Remember that story? We covered that the first week. <clears throat> the centurion, Roman, a Greek a Roman soldier, came and asked Jesus to heal her, his servant. And Jesus said, I don't, "I'll go." And the guy said, "No, you don't have to go." And he healed him without even going. So, disciples knew that, and they said, okay, that's dangerous, so why don't we just stay here and heal him, right? Then he goes on and says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Ah, good. Not a big deal, right? He's sick, he's falling asleep, falling asleep, he's going to wake up. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Disciples didn't get it, so he told them, Lazarus is dead. Well, I guess we're going now, but we're going for the funeral, right? Can't do anything about that. Jesus performed miracles up until now, but he's never brought anybody back to life. That's kind of not on, the, not on the possible agenda. So Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus says this really interesting, kind of fascinating thing. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For our sakes? Now, now disciples, Jesus, you have to remember, Jesus is training these 11 guys to carry on his ministry, his work, after he, he leaves this earth. <clears throat> so this is critical. These guys get it. They understand it. They're ready when Jesus leaves to carry on the church, which happened because we're here today 2,000 years later. All right, for their sakes, it might have been good, but what about Mary and Martha and, of course, Lazarus? Lazarus had to die. Mary and Martha are now grieving and they've watched their son, uh, their their brother die, and they also have the, this burden that that Jesus didn't come to help. He's supposed to love us, and he didn't come. And again, we get another so that. <laughs> and this is the biggie. This series is about big faith. He says, so that you may believe, or so you may have faith. So this I'm allowed, I've allowed, basically Jesus is saying, i allowed this circumstance to happen. I've la- allowed Lazarus to actually die, Mary and Martha to grieve, so that you, you 11 guys, faith will grow. So come, let's go and see him. So that's a lesson. There's a lesson in this. And God's going to use whatever tool he has available, and this is one of the biggies, to grow your faith and my faith. And your response is probably like, my response at times, well, <clears throat> I don't know if I can believe in a God who would fill in the blank. My, our case, probably the biggie is, let, let my daughter-in-law die. I, I don't know if I can believe in a God that lets that happen. I don't believe in a God who lets, you know, one of my parents get Alzheimer's and, and deal with all that. I don't know if I can believe in a God that, You know, let's my loved one get to have this problem or or that problem. I don't know if I can believe in a God that that lets children be born uh, special needs children. I I don't know if I can believe in God in that. And my response is that then you don't believe in the God of the Bible, obviously. And that's your choice. That's my choice. Uh, I don't struggle with this. Bad things happen to good people because... The reason bad things happen is because God gives us choice. And all I have to do is ask people, You want no choices? No, I want choices. Well, if you, if you have choices, you're to, bad things are going to happen. That's the, that's the bottom line. So we skip down. Jesus arrives. Now, I, I imagine Mary and Martha have been looking for Jesus for days out the window, and he's not been coming. But he finally arrives. So Martha runs up to Jesus and says, Lord, if only you had been here. So what's she saying? It's your fault. Jesus, it's your fault that Lazarus died. If you hadn't been here, it wouldn't happen. You heal the sick. You and I have done that too, haven't you? It's your fault, God. It's your fault. This shouldn't have happened. It's your fault. You could have stopped it. You could have kept it from happening. Very common emotion, and she tells Jesus that. My brother would not have died if you just had come. I wouldn't be grieving now. I wouldn't have to live live the rest of my life without him. I've lost him. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Now, she's not thinking about Lazarus coming back. But she's declaring her faith. She's saying, I know, I believe, I trust. I have confidence in you. That you can help us get through this situation. Whatever. However, <clears throat> so Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. I, her, I, she would respond like you and I would respond. Yeah, 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 I know that. We say that at all the funerals, right? <laughs> You're going to see your loved one again one day. Uh, that's, what, that's, 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 that's the common thing we say. Yes, Martha, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And then Jesus says something that always amazes me. People that aren't Jesus followers say Jesus was a good teacher. But when we read this next statement, you're going to see that he's going to say something that if you don't believe in him, he's not a good teacher. He's a a wacko to say something like this. And here's what he says. Pretty familiar if you've been a church person. I am the resurrection and the life. Another place he says, no one comes to the Father except for me, through me. So, if you're not a Jesus follower and you think Jesus is a good teacher and he says, you, have, you haven't got a chance if you don't believe in me, then I don't think I, 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 I would consider him a good teacher. But that's up to you. He says, I am the resurrection of life. Then he goes on. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Oh, okay. So, there's life after death. Well, that's what the resurrection thing means, right? Um. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Well, wait a minute. You said after we'll die, we'll live. Now you're saying we'll never die. We have this churchy expression that says you're either born once and die twice, or you're born twice and die once. We're talking about physically, we understand that. The other is spiritually. So you're reborn spiritually when you put your faith in in Jesus, so then you never die spiritually. Death just means separation. So you're going to be separated from God for eternity if you're not a believer. This phrase, believe in, really means trust, but in the Greek there's no word for trust. (laughs) So you can't translate a Greek word into trust. So the translators of what John wrote put believes in, not believe about, but believes in, or we would say trust. You mean to tell me that God would go to such lengths, or Jesus would, to let somebody die just so his disciples' faith would grow? And the answer may not be comfortable, but the answer is absolutely true. Yes. And he'd make things happen, let things happen, or cause things to happen in your life and my life that we're not comfortable with. With the goal that our faith would grow. So, she says, yes, Lord. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God, so she was a believer up to, up to this point. Even though Jesus didn't come and let her brother die, she still believes that he's the Messiah. And then we get to the shortest verse in the Bible. If you were back in this, in <laughs> when in your younger years and we were in church, and they made you memorize scripture verses. This is always the first one. What is it? Where is it? John, 11, 35, Right. <laughs> Two words. This translation three words. Then Jesus wept. Sometimes we forget about Jesus had emotions just like you and I do. And he feels what, felt what they felt. He feels what we feel. And so, uh, as the Bible says, we grieve with those who grieve and laugh with those who laugh. And so he's grieving with these folks. Or he's grieving because these folks are grieving. And then he, I'm not going to read the next part, but then he makes a strange request. He says, Go, roll the stone away from the tomb, Lazarus' tomb. Now, people didn't do that. And their response is logical. They say, "Uh, I don't think we want to do that. He's been dead for four days. And I don't know. I've never been around a dead, four-day-old body. Uh, But if you read in the King James Version of Bosnian, he said, he stinketh. I think that's a cool word. (laughs) He stinketh. Uh, It doesn't smell very good. We don't want to open that. The odor coming out is not going to be very pleasant. <clears throat> but he insists and he open the tomb and then he prays his prayer and, and you can go read the prayer if you want. But basically he says, God, I'm, what, I'm gonna ha- what I'm about to do, what we're going about to do is to help these people believe. And then if you've watched this in a movie, usually Jesus is, yells out, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I don't think he needed to yell. I don't think he did yell. In fact, I'd like to imagine him just whispering, Lazarus, come on out. I had a pastor teach me this once. He had to say Lazarus because otherwise everybody would have came out. (laughs) All right? So he says, Lazarus, we don't want anybody else coming out, just you, Lazarus. All right, Lazarus, come out. And of course, he comes out. And they unwrap him, and he's alive. So if there's any doubts about the resurrection and the life, doubts are over. Right now, he's just proved that he has power over death. And the results, got the, the, the expected results, the end of the, of the passage says this, many of the people who were there with Mary believed. Now, it didn't say everybody, which is pretty interesting. But many of the people believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Now again, Jesus created this horrible, negative Pivotal circumstance. He could have came right away and healed Lazarus before he died. Spared Mary and Martha their grief, spared Lazarus the death experience. In fact, it's kind of weird to think Lazarus died again sometime, right? So he had two death experiences. So, what makes the biggest difference in our response? to these negative, pivotal circumstances? What makes the difference of us leaning in or or drawing closer to God or pushing God away? And from my experience, the answer is this. The people around us. The people around you. That's why we tell you over and over and over, you need to be connected in a small group. Because when you go through these these kind of experiences, if you don't have people around you to support you and encourage you and to help you, instead of growing as God's intent, you usually get bitter and angry. And it has a negative effect on your life. Besides, is pain proof of anything? If you have a bad experience, a negative experience, is it proof of anything? Everybody has those. There's no proof that that loving God's not a loving God or good God's not a good God. That's part of life. Philip Yancey said this, pretty, pretty, pretty big insight. There's only one thing worse than disappointment with God, and we've all gotten disappointed with God, and that's disappointment without God. When I go through those circumstances, I think, well, you know, I have these people around me to support me, but go through it alone thinking there is no God. So the right response leaves us open to receive God's grace the right response to these pivotal circumstances, we can receive God's grace, we can grow closer to God and one another. The wrong response forces us to face life without God. So let's end with this warning. If it feels like God is doing something to us, our faith weakens. God's picking on me, God doesn't like me, God doesn't care for me, He's punishing me. Your faith weakens. But if we know God is doing something in us. Our faith grows. So in the midst of those circumstances, let me uh, suggest a prayer. God, I need to see you in this. I don't need it to necessarily get better. I don't need it to actually necessarily change. I just need to see you in this. So my faith grows instead of weakens. One way to think about this is God allowed or permitted the greatest crime in history, the torture and death of his son, for the purpose of our faith. So why wouldn't he allow these circumstances in your life and my life? The response is up to you and I. So we spent six weeks talking about this, so I want to recap some of the things we've learned, hopefully learned, and then we'll be finished. So first, God is most honored by our faith, our confidence in him. That's the biggie. That's what he wants more than anything else. And that's what you want in your relationships, not only with God, with other people. You want the people you're close to to get closer, to get more intimate, to trust you more. No difference with God. Now, we talked about the point of trust is where things were broken. You go back to Adam and Eve. They didn't trust God. They thought he was trying to keep something good from them. And the same thing happens to you and I. Our trust with God is broken because we think God's trying to keep something good from us. So, makes sense. Then the point of trust is where it's put back together. And we say initially, it's that initial step across the line to faith in in Jesus, and the trust is restored. But continually, as our faith grows. So the rest of your life, these five things are going to intersect with your faith. And we're going to talk about them again in the future. So real quickly, five catalysts. Number one, stay in a biblical learning environment. We call that practical teaching. This church, some other church where they teach the Bible not for just something to learn, but something to do. And then we talked about be intentional and available relationally. Now, this is something you really don't have control of. Uh, I can't say, hey, you're going to be my, you know, BFF. (laughs) You just can't do that. But you can make yourself open and available to the possibility of those relationships. Uh, thirdly, we talked about stay involved in spiritual disciplines, prayer, uh, reading, giving, fasting. We didn't really talk about it mentioned. Uh, these are things you have control of, these are things you can do or not do. Then last week we talked about a big step out and serve that's personal ministry. One of the big things God uses to grow your faith and mind is to actually get out there and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Then today we talked about look for God in life. In those pivotal circumstances, uh, again, I talked a lot about the negative, the positive ones too. When a child is born, when you get married, all these, all those biggies. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, next two weeks, we're going to talk about God and country. Hoping you can join us, and please uh, spend a couple hours, this, or at least part of the time, with us this afternoon. We'd love it. love to have you. Let's pray. God, we don't always like it, or like your tools, your methods. Uh, we would like it much better if the all pivotal circumstances were positive, but C.S. Lewis said that it seems to be the negative ones that have the biggest impact, uh, the big, biggest potential to grow our faith. God, I, I have no idea to know the circumstances these folks are going through. Some illnesses, broken relationships, other, other issues, financial issues. Uh, God, I just know your desire is to use them to grow their faith, or trust in you. And we want to pray for anyone that's not stepped across that line or needs to reconnect with you, God, that they would take this time. Say, yes, these circumstances have brought me to this place where I'm trusting you or trusting you again, God. And we thank you that Jesus has done this for us. In his name we pray, amen.